series called Wilderness Saints. We've looked at a couple passages with Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob last week wrestling with the man of God, and now we're into Joseph. So we're kind of just jumping through the patriarchs. Um, so just a quick review of jo Joseph's life before we get into this. He was the 11th child of Jacob uh, and Rachel, and he was the favorite son of Jacob because he was born of Rachel, whom he loved. So he was doted on. You remember when he was a youth, uh, Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, and he was loved more than all the 11 sons. And so he has these dreams, um, and one of the dreams was they're out in the, in the, uh, the pasture, and there's all these, these sheaves of corn bowing down, um, and, and there was 11 sheaves, and then he was in the middle. Then he had this other dream of the stars of the universe bowing down to him. And so basically, these dreams irritated his brothers greatly. Um, and they were already kind of envious of him because he had Jacob's love. Um, and so they, they devised a, a plan when, Jake, when Joseph came out to the fields uh, to visit them to basically take him and kill him. But Reuben, the one son of Jacob, spoke up and said, no, let's not kill him. They dug a pit, um, and they put him in there. And in the meantime, they took the coat of many colors, and they put blood on it for a wild animal. And then these Ishmaelites were coming down the way on their way to Egypt, and they said, let's sell Joseph uh, to these Ishmaelites. And so they literally took their brother, their own flesh and blood, and sold him off into slavery, and then devised this ploy um, of the fact that they said that he was killed by a wild animal. So they had a family secret that they were hiding from their father, Jacob, or Israel, and the rest of the family. And so this is, this is where we are then at the beginning of chapter 39. And so... Um, but the big theme here is that the Lord was with Joseph. And so we're going to see um, in this passage that because, the, because God's presence is with Joseph, he's empowered him to bless the nation, really to bless and serve others, number one. He's empowered him to honor God sexually. Uh, and so he's living a life of sexual wholeness and, and holiness before the Lord. And then the third thing is he empowers us or he empowers Joseph to receive uh, his love, his steadfast love. And so uh, before we go into the points, though, I want to give you kind of a big picture way of reading Genesis. And this is kind of what, what theologians call a, a historical redemptive perspective of this story it's always good when you're reading a book of the bible to remember well who was the original audience and who was the original author well we you know theologians everyone believes that moses wrote genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy the first five moses is responsible so moses is writing genesis and some of these stories have been collaborated from the past, but under the inspiration of God, Moses is writing to Israel, where? In the wilderness. He's writing them, he's telling them about these stories of God's 
redemption and God's plan for them in the middle of the of the wilderness. And so um, this story is is ultimately um, showing their purpose through Joseph's life, the story of Israel through Joseph's life. And what is the purpose, or what is the purpose of God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph? Well, is it just individual salvation? Is it just for Abraham and his family to have a nice relationship with God and enjoy God's favor and really not care about the rest of the world? No. The covenant to Abraham was for him to bless the nations to be a blessing of the nations. I will bless those you bless, and I will curse those you curse. And so Israel was always to be a light uh, to the nations. And so I just want to kind of summarize that at the start as we look at this story. And so um, the first thing here is that God's presence empowers us to serve others. And so as you look at this, uh, this terrible story of Joseph being sold into slavery and he's down there. He Potiphar, you know, buys him for his house and he's a servant in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is like the head uh the head guard uh of of Egypt. And you know, Joseph to some extent has had a pretty pretty terrible life so far. Um because of this incredible tragedy. He's hated by his brothers. Um, he's sold into slavery. And, you know, put yourself in his position. I mean, think of think of just the depression you would have because of this. Um, you know, there's a couple options you could go. You could just say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna just leave. I'm gonna commit suicide and get out of here. I, I you know, what has happened? I mean you know, another option would be like to fight and try to escape, you know, and run back uh, to Jacob. You know, obviously he couldn't do that. Or he could just like seek to complain, be angry at God, angry at the life he has. But instead he serves. Um, and the reason why the text says about four times in these 23 verses that the Lord was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with him, he blessed Joseph, and he blessed Potiphar, and he blessed the prison. And so God's presence is what changed Joseph and allowed him to have a perspective that God is with me. God has a purpose in this. God is sovereign, and he's got a plan. And so he doesn't give up hope. And basically, he blooms where he's planted. Like, wherever he's planted in this story, he, he blooms. And he just serves the Lord, and he serves other people. And so uh, he does this because of God's presence. It says uh, in verse 2 and verse 3, I'll read, His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so um, it's interesting that God's presence leads to the blessing of Potiphar's house. Potiphar was an Egyptian, okay? Basically, he, they will become enemies of Israel later on, right, in history. But Potiphar saw the presence of the Lord. Verse 5, it says, For the time that he made him overseer of his house in his house, uh, 
and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians for the sake of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on, on all that he had uh, in the field, in and out of the field. And so Potiphar has great trust in him. And one of the things we learn from this story is that Joseph also must have been telling Potiphar about the Lord of Israel, about the covenant of the Lord Yahweh. Because later on, um, it says in verse 3, it says, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so we can imply that Joseph was telling Potiphar, oh, it's because of the Lord. This is why the crops are growing so well. Or this is why the house is so organized. Or this is why you're prospering and doing so well. It's because um, my God is the Lord, Yahweh, who made this covenant with my grandfather and with my father, okay, and with me. He is with me, the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so Joseph is blessing Potiphar with serving him, but also telling him about uh, the God of Israel. So there's really, this is that word indeed. So, you know, transferring this to us, you know, this is what we are called to do. We are to be a blessing to the nations. We are, be, we are to be a blessing to all types of different people. Um, Joseph was with uh, Potiphar in Egypt, and he's being a blessing to him. And so, so we think about our life at the University of Maryland. Um, we have to be those kind of people that serve our neighbors well, that bless them, that, that encourage them. And we also have to be those kind of people that explain the reason for the hope that we have, to be able to tell them, you know, this is because I love God. Uh, I want to help you ultimately because I want you to know this God too, who's been such a, an amazing blessing for me. And so our calling really is much like Joseph's. Um, you know, we are to serve this world. We are our salvation is not just for ourselves. We're to bless other people around us and people from all different tribes and tongues and and nations. Um, and we're not just to like bless the people like us, but we are to serve and bless and be the kind of people that God um, uses in the world to bring the nations to Christ. And so, students, um, think about your roommates. Um, how can you serve them? Or if you're home, how can you serve your family or your neighbor, your neighborhood? Maybe there are people in your neighborhood. If the snow comes tomorrow. Are there elderly people that you could, you know, grab a shovel and go out and help serve them and help, you know, uh, clean their sidewalks and that sort of thing? I'm serious. This is like what God calls us to. Are we different than the world? Are we just to ourselves and with our entertainment? Are we like literally trying to get to know people? And so, um, you know, one of the main issues on the college campus is loneliness. And so, you know, as you... If, Remember when you used to be in the dorms? Um, <laughs> like, are, do you talk to the people in your hall? Or do you just ignore them? Do you, like, do you learn their names, you know, so you can say hi to them? Do you um, invite them to the dining hall with you? When you're in the dining hall, maybe there's a, a person sitting by themselves. Like, have you ever just, like, said, I'm just going to ask this person if I can eat with them and get to know them and learn their name and be a friend to them and be a blessing to them. This is like, this is what God calls us to, that hospitality 
And just these simple things of like saying hello, knowing people's names, praying for them, getting to know them. This is how we bless people. Um, and so if you have God's presence, this should this should be like a power thing in you to, to make you want to do this because God has ministered to you and God has loved you. Um, and so we can't do this on our own. We need the gospel. Uh, we need Jesus. Uh, and we need the Holy Spirit. And so um, that's the first part of this is that Joseph was empowered to bless and serve uh, the nations. And that's what we're called to be as well. And so the second thing is God's presence empowers him for sexual holiness. God's presence empowers Joseph for sexual holiness. And so as you read through this passage, it sounds a little bit like a, a daytime soap opera, doesn't it? There's this uh, soap scene of the handsome Joseph who's noticed by Potiphar's wife. And he serves day in and day out in the house, and Potiphar's wife is there, and she begins to notice this guy, and uh, she makes her advance, and she says, lie with me. Um, and we see her doing this continually, and Joseph continues to say no. How can I do that? How can I do that? Day after day. The question is, will he cave in? And as we think about, like, our own... Our own culture, um, you know, we swim in a world, a sea of sexual uh, images, sexual temptation, um, the internet, our smartphones, the pornography industry that's just incredibly, like, wide and long on the, on the in internet. And this is very, th this passage is... Uh, uh, you know, really appropriate for our day and time as you think about this issue of like temptation. Are you going to give in when it's that easy? I mean, no one was home. Joseph could have just go go ahead, Joseph. It's okay, right? No one will know. This will be your little secret. But instead, he says no. He says no. And there's two reasons basically that the text gives. The first is love of others. Love of others. How do you? How can you be sexually pure in this world? You have to think of people as made in the image of God. That this is not just any person out there and objectifying. This is somebody's, you know, sister, somebody's daughter, somebody's mother, brother. You know, this is a real person, and and we are called to love our neighbors. And so here's what he says. He says, "Behold, because." Of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. Verse 9. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Why? Because you are his wife. And so right here, Joseph is telling the score. He's like saying, the, the word of God, the command of God is to not commit adultery and sin by taking you in a sexually, uh, in a sexual manner. Joseph knew that this broke also the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is before the Ten Commandments are written, okay? 
Uh, but it's already inherent in Joseph that he would know about Genesis. He would know that the marriage relationship was be, to be between the husband and a wife. And the sexual relationship was to be between the husband and the wife alone. And it was sacred and it was a covenant. And, and so Joseph knew from that faith passed down to him uh, that the sexual relationship was exclusive. Uh, and to break that meant you were not loving your neighbor and also meant you were not loving God. So he has a clear understanding of the marriage covenant and the boundaries that that provides. Now, um, we're going to talk some, somewhat about sexual sin here tonight, but I want to just give you some brief definitions, too. And uh, the sexual relationship, which is good and designed by God, is, is an expression of deep love, serving, pleasure, procreation, you know, bless, you know, uh, you'll be, a, you, you'll be, you know, uh, basically, <laughs> you'll be fruitful and multiply is what he says in Genesis 1. And, but it's, and it's also for protection for outside temptation. In other words, the sexual relationship between the husband and wife is a beautiful thing that God has created, and it's a holy, sacred thing. And so to go outside of that is to break covenant with your partner and also with your God. Adultery destroys marriages. It destroys lives. It destroys families. And so the proverb says in, in chapter 6, verse 27, in fact, some really excellent proverbs about sexual sin and avoiding sexual sin, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. But in Proverbs 6, 27 following, says this about adultery. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who, who does it destroys himself. And so we're going to look at that idea in a second about how sexual sin also destroys the self. But Joseph, the first and foremost thing here is he understood this covenant between Potiphar and his wife. And that that is not loving your neighbor who God calls you to love when you break into that covenant. The second thing he understands is that sexual sin is against God. And he says at the end of verse 9, this great statement, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So the, the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship, his relationship with God and his relationship with others is what's controlling him and what he is seeking to obey. Joseph ultimately has the fear of God, uh, meaning he lives his life moment by moment in the presence of God. And he knows that God is watching, and he knows that he is accountable to God. David said a similar thing in Psalm 51, that after the adultery with Bathsheba, he said, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That even though he sinned with adultery against Bathsheba, he, he's actually saying it's ultimately about God. I've, I've broken 
your law. I've sinned against who you are. And so all sin is ultimately against God. It's, um, you know, it's a rebellion against the creator and maker and sustainer of the universe. R.C. Sproul says it's cosmic rebellion. When you sin, it's like cosmic rebellion against God. And so God has made him for himself. And, and uh, when we sin sexually, we're saying we ultimately don't need God, that we need to, to put uh, this sexual pleasure in that place. And I will make God, I will make sex ultimately my God and my idol. And we serve that, and sex becomes the idol and the false God. And so ultimately, Joseph's love for God and his love for his neighbor is how he fights against this temptation. But we ultimately know it's the presence of God that he had in him that said no to these things, that gave him the power uh, to say no. And we'll get to that in a second. But how do we say no? Uh, and how is it going with you in terms of this issue of our culture being so saturated with sexuality and sexual sin? How's it going in that area? Is there, do you have, do you have uh uh, a heart that is just feeling burdened by this day in and day out. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about um, these these ideas. Now we in this passage we're talking about adultery um, and you all are in college you might think, well what about hookups like is that okay? Uh, well, you know, we're not married, but can we experiment? This is college. We can sell our wild oats now, and later we'll worry about that. You know, what about things like pornography? And the Bible puts these and others under the sexual sin category, okay? Really, a good definition is anything outside of marital sexual love between a husband and a wife is sexual sin. It's very narrow. Okay, so the list is long here, but let me just go through some items that would be considered sexual sin. Okay, number one, sexual lust. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just if you um, commit physical adultery, but if you lust in your heart against someone, you've also committed adultery with that person in your heart. Um, so that would include, you know, internet pornography, um, it would also include things like what sometimes that leads to, sexual self-pleasure, masturbation, um, hookups, oral sex without intercourse, making out heavily and pretty much having sex with your clothes on, homosexual sex, orgies, sex parties. And these things, most of these things are actually spelled out in the scriptures. I would, I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Um, and so this is going down, you know, a pretty steep slope. Um, and I was reading in a book called Hide or Seek, which is um, by John Freeman, who's part of this Harvest uh, Fellowship, which deals with sexual sin in the church and helping people who are uh, struggling in that area. And the first chapter in this book basically says that the church is not talking about sex. And that sex is rampant in the church and in the culture. 
And some of these stats are from 20 years ago, but I'm just going to read a few of them. But it's a sobering look at the problem. He said, in 2000, as many as 25 million Americans spent one to 10 hours per week viewing internet pornography, and as many as 4.7 million spent over 11 hours per week viewing internet pornography. That's in 2000. Like the iPhone, was the iPhone even here then? The iPhone's not even out yet. So, I mean, I don't know what the stats are now, but it's got to be, you know, double that, I would say. Um, pornography uses and online behavior is now a significant factor in two out of three divorces. Um, one survey said that as many as 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. More than 25% of men admit to accessing porn at work, risking their careers and livelihoods. Um, one out of three visitors to an adult website is a woman. I'm not going to go through all these stats, but this book was written in 2014. Some of the stats are a little older, but the point is, is that um, the, the culture is saturated, that this is a huge deal, that we're swimming in it, that we can't get away from it. Um, in fact, the first chapter is titled, No One Escapes Our Sexualized, Pornified Culture and Its Consequences. Okay, so that's that's where we live. Um, and so I, I want to talk a little bit about pornography. I know that we're kind of jumping around here, but I feel like we got to deal with the practical application of this passage. Um, and so one question might be, why is sexual sin, whether it's pornography or any kind of sexual addiction, so powerful? Well, I think it's because God has made us in his image, male and female, and he's also made us sexual beings. And he's created sex as a good gift, an amazing gift, and it's so intricate to who we are as people and intimacy and relationships that is powerful. And so Satan loves to take kind of this most precious gift and twist it and make it so it, that we, we uh, forget about God and we grab a hold and it becomes addictive to us. And so instead of sex is made for the man and the woman in the marriage relationship as, a, as something where we serve one another becomes this selfish thing where we seek to get sexual pleasure uh, for ourselves. Um, and so Dr. Winter, he's a counselor at Covenant Seminary, uh, he's, he, I was listening to one of his lectures, and I'm basically paraphrasing it, but he talked about pornography and addiction to pornography in the class. I want to just mention some of these things. He says, porn, you know, porn can destroy us. Porn is powerful because it gives the rush of sexual experience without the commitment of a real person and a relationship. So that this quick pleasure brings an addiction with it so that the sexual rush changes the way your mind thinks and ultimately it will change your brain. So there's been a lot of studies recently how Basically, sexual addiction pornography acts just like a drug to our brains. The elasticity of, our, of your neurons in your brain change as you constantly look at porn. Just like in drug addictions where uh, you need more of the drug to get high, 
um, it, because it's changing you. It's the same way uh, with pornography, that the neurons, the channels, and the pathways of your brain are getting wider, and it's easier, but you need more and more of it to bring the same high. And so this is the rabbit hole of pornography, addiction. Um, it Also, he, he talked about how pornography addiction and perfectionism often go together. What he meant was, um, so if, if a guy is addicted to pornography and they're looking at, at images, they will tend to then, um, in the real world, seek girls uh, that will look like that. And uh, so this is how pornography is forming you and changing you and changing your perspective. And it destroys relationships because a real relationship takes work. Real relationship is with a real person, with, you know, who, who is not perfect, like the way they try to make, uh, like the porn stars and all that. Uh, you know, people get sick. People have, you know, blemishes. People have warts and all, right? We're real people. And pornography tries to make everything look sleek. Um, and so that really emphasizes our image. And, and not just pornography, but I mean, the um, even like, you know, uh, as you think about just the model, modeling, that industry, and um, just how our culture puts these images of like, this is the perfect person, this is the perfect female, this is the perfect male, and how so easy to like allow that to be a controlling factor in like who you date or who you have a relationship with and it's because we, it's because we've been um fed all of these images for so long of a time and now this is forming who we are and who we look look at and so the point is is that sin uh sexual sin is a sin against ourselves and said it says in first corinthians 6 uh, Paul points out, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And I think that part of that is what we're seeing in the culture with these studies is that the brain is changing, that you know the way we look at the world is changing because of sexual idolatry. So this is really serious stuff, and like I was like really depressed this morning thinking about these things because I've struggled in these areas. And, uh, and so part of what I want to say to you all, if you are struggling in these areas, is that this is the time to get help. This is the time to like reach out to us and talk about these things and be honest with what's going on in like your secret world. Um, and this is the time to use internet filters um, I really, really, really want to encourage all of you to have internet filters and accountability on your phone and on your computers because it's rampant and it's forming us and it's and it's wrong because a lot of these people too, like we haven't even talked about sexual trafficking and, and you know, the people that are engaging in these things, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it has so many ramifications, but going back to that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, <laughs> Here's ultimately how, how Joseph survived the temptation. He ran. He ran away 
He ran away like Forrest Gump ran away. Run, Forrest, run. He just, he had to get out of there. He had to physically leave that place and run. And this is what often we have to do in terms of these boundaries we have to set. We have to run away. We have to put stuff in the other room. You know, if you can't handle that in your bedroom, you need to put it in the other room. Uh, you need to you need to get accountability people to help you and to pray with you and talk about these things. This is where the gospel really, really works as well. And that's the beautiful thing, because in 1 Corinthians 6, it also says, Paul says to the Corinthians, after he gives this huge list of sexual sins, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so how do you get help from failing in this area of sexual sin or messing up time and again? Well, it's the gospel. It's the Spirit of the Lord. It's knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that you need Jesus and knowing that you have his forgiveness on the cross and resting in that and seeing the beauty of Jesus that's bigger, that's bigger and more beautiful than any image or any uh, strain in sexual sin. And so we see at the end of this story that Joseph was able to survive because he had the steadfast love of God. And so how do we survive in sexual sin, you know, in in uh, recovery from that or you know, how do, what do we run to? Well, Joseph received the steadfast love of God, and that's what we need. Um, uh, the story ends with Joseph, you know, being falsely accused. There's a huge injustice here, um, and he's thrown into prison. But what do we see again? He's blessing that place. And it says that he understood uh, that the, the steadfast love of God. And... How do, we, how do we really get that? Well, it's, it's ultimately from a greater Joseph. And this is where I want to point us to Jesus because all of the Bible, all the Old Testament is pointing ahead. And Joseph is a, an amazing uh, shadow figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the story ends with Joseph in prison being a blessing. Well, there's a greater Joseph who, um, like Joseph, Jesus, he had all the temptations that we would ever face. Uh, he was tempted in every way, just like we are, and yet he was without sin. Uh, and his battle and success against sin is why we're saved, because his holiness meant that he would be a perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. And so Joseph is a pointer as well, as he was unjustly accused and arrested, and the Lord Jesus, he was perfect, perfect love for God and others, and he did nothing wrong, but charges were trumped up against him. He was arrested and thrown into prison, but unlike Joseph, this one was unjustly condemned to die of his own volition in our place. And so Jesus then, by his death, by his substitution for us, takes all of our sin, takes all of our uh, brokenness in sexual issues and in you know all of our issues all of our idolatries and he and he becomes uh the righteousness of god so this is this is the hope that we have how can we 
how can we, you know, survive? How can we say no sexual temptation? How can we grow in this area? Well, it's going back to see Jesus and to see how beautiful he is and what he's done for you. You are a huge, big sinner, but Jesus loves you and he died for you and he came for you. And so, um, you know, now we have this beautiful promise. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, our sin condemns, right? Our heart condemns, Satan condemns us, but when we look outside, Jesus' perfect righteousness is for us. And so when you have the steadfast love of God and you continue to renew yourself in the steadfast love of God and Jesus, this gives you that power to say no. It gives you the power to bless and serve other people, right? It gives you the power to receive again and again uh, the love of Jesus. So let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for... Uh, this time to look at this passage. Lord, there's a lot of heavy stuff in here that we talked about tonight. I just pray, Lord, that, that uh, we would all know your steadfast love and the love of Jesus for sinners. And Lord, we've failed. I've failed. And God, uh, help us to quickly confess and help us to run to you and help us to fight our sin and run away and flee uh, sexual immorality. Uh, God, um, let us be different. Let us be a light in this area. As so many people are broken, so many people are destroyed. Um, Father, let us be a light. Let us be a place of healing for others that have, that are broken in this way, and that we can be honest and they can be honest uh, about what's going on. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.